It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Two football powerhouses are out of the Euros, but the Czech Republic and Belgium, they are celebrating their place in the quarterfinals. So much to talk about in today's episode of the Gangapod and a couple of massive matches to look ahead to as well. So let's get into it. Shooting chance! Oh, my goodness me! Torgenazov! What a thunderous goal for Belgium! Fantastic! Yeah, hi everyone. Welcome to another working week, another edition of the match day edition of the Gangapod. Much to discuss as Belgium have got past Portugal and the Czech Republic. They have dumped out the Netherlands and there is plenty of fallout from that one from earlier on today. David Wiener with you once again. Keeping the keeping the crew fresh, the rotation policy and the Gagnapods on again. Welcome back, Jake Rosengarten. How are you? Good, mate. Well played, Gaffer. Get me back in the lineup. Love to see it. Good to staff. You're on deadline today on the late game, so we'll tuck into that shortly. Thomas Sorensen, we've missed you on the show. Good to have you back again. Another big night of action that we've enjoyed. Fantastic this morning. Uh, still living on a high from the Denmark win uh, yesterday. And uh, yeah, no, we're just seeing a great Euros, I think, overall and some great games. Jake, you were on the deadline today for the Belgium-Portugal game. A lot to take in from that one because massive names. We've seen Portugal go out, the defending champions, just the lone goal. Talking Hazard was the decisive winner, but not only a lot to dissect from the game, a lot of fallout. What did you take as your lead from the game this morning? I thought it was a fascinating game, Dave, to be honest with you. I mean... Obviously, with so much quality, especially in attack on both teams, we sort of at least sort of hoped that this may be a bit of a bit of a shootout, a bit of an attack v attack sort of a thing. It sort of played out. It was quite tight in the opening stages um, with Torgan Hazard's stunner, this time Torgan rather than Eden doing the business for Belgium, sort of laying the platform something to open up in the second half. And when Kevin De Bruyne went off early with an injury, things opened up and it was all Portugal. And it was all Portugal that entire second half, but they just couldn't break through. Wasn't the goal fest we hoped for, Thomas, but it was intriguing and it took a decisive winner to split the teams. Why didn't we get the goal fest today? No, I think, you know, wasteful finishing. I think Portugal will, you know, be really disappointed. I think they definitely had enough chances. Uh, a lot of people they threw everything, the kitchen sink at the end uh, at, at Belgium. And, um, you know, yeah, you know, Ronaldo didn't get, he had a couple of free kicks. But he didn't get on the end of a, of a big chance. Jota, I think, had uh, the chances. And, and he just hasn't been on form in this tournament. And that cost him. Uh, hit the post Guerrero, you know, uh, and, and it was just the margins. Uh, and then, you know, I, I agree with the, you know, the Belgium goal. Torgan has a great strike. But Rui Patricio, my God, he has to do better. You know, from a goalkeeping perspective, he's offline. He's not positioned well. He... Dips his body and balance on on the swerve of the ball, which you, you can at sometimes, but it goes in more or less in the middle of the goal. Uh, and and at, at this level, a keeper of that quality, 
That shouldn't happen. You mentioned margins, and I think today's Monday's Gagapod is going to be a discussion about the margins at this level. Danny Mills on the Euro Brecky Wrap on Optus Sports said that if Jordan Pickford made a similar mistake, it would be in the front page tabloid headlines coming the next day. Uh, that is how it was. Was it more the technical aspect of it, Thomas, that he was not in position, or was it the fact that despite the swerve, a keeper of his uh, experience and quality should be adjusting to save that? No, but... That's the basics of, of goalkeeping. You know, f- for you to have the best possible chance of saving um, anything, you've got to be in the right position. You've got to have the right balance. And he gets both wrong in, in, in that, you know, split second. And uh, he creeps towards his near post. And, you know, it, it, and, and then, of course, the strike, the pace that the ball has, the little bit of a swerve, um, all those things added up. You know, that was the desider. Um, and, and then, yeah, not taking the chances for Portugal down the other end. It's interesting, Jake, because we've talked all tournament about Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku, the big guns for Belgium. But I think it probably speaks to why they were so fancied and why they've become world number one, that it was Torgan Hazard, probably that second tier of stars that got the match winner for them today, the decisive match winner. It's They're well poised, but we still haven't seen, though, them fully flexed or hit top gear. What do you make of Belgium that you've seen so far as a proposition? Well, I think Belgium, uh, you're 100% right, Dave. It ha- this Belgium team oh, for have, once. Been, <laughs> have been together for a long time. This is this is a team who are essentially the closest thing to a club team that you can see in international football. So many of them have been playing at this level together for so long. So those second tier sort of guys, they're very used to playing on this stage and they, they know exactly what they need to do. And they did that today. Um, but it was very interesting for me, especially, to see... We all wondered... We know the attacking quality that Belgium possess, but we wondered sort of when the chips were down with a defence that... I mean, today their defence, a 32-year-old, a 34-year-old, and a 35-year-old, whether they would step up. And the resilience and the solidity that they sort of... Uh, that came out with under this fire from Portugal was yeah. quite impressive in the end. Before we talk about uh, where Miss Portugal misfired, I actually do want to pick up on that because they were a vastly experienced team, as, as Jake said. They had five centurions in their 11, or oh, sorry, on the field at one point, time at one point. And whilst it wasn't so much pace, you know, that's everyone, what everyone's questioning about their rear guard because they are slightly older. But in terms of guile, I think that had a lot to do with how the Portugal was shut out because they threw the kitchen sink, but they looked pretty good in d- defensively Belgium. Yeah, I think that that was the positive they can take out of it and and in some way they they won Ockley and uh, you know if I go back to the 2018 World yeah. Cup yeah. they they came into the semi-final against France and they were the well fancied you know they played so well and France did a job on them defensively was sound and I think today they did a little bit of a job on Portugal you know, in the second half, you know, because they weren't impressive. They didn't get forward much. They had a couple of counter-attacks, which, you know, had De Bruyne been on, on the pitch, they probably would have finished off because the final ball wasn't quite good enough. But yeah, you got to have that steal. You can't always win pretty and uh, they're through. So that's all you want. It's really interesting you say that, Thomas, because Roberto Martinez actually, after the game, basically said that we did a Portugal on Portugal, talking about how obviously Portugal in, in, in 2016 sort of, one that that in that style of football, and that's that's how Belgium played today. They sort of adapted, and they they frustrated Portugal, and they got over the line. Yeah, no, I, you know, sometimes you know we all want, and then you know these games, you know, we all want the big teams, and we want to see the big players, and but it doesn't always win your football games. Sometimes you you got to do it the ugly way, and and in some 
in some way or form they, they did that today. And one of the questions about Belgium has probably been their with mentality might be harsh, but their ability to fight through because they haven't yet as a golden generation, that big game, that big next stage. That's a really good point. That might have been a, a breakthrough triumph for them in that they can actually do it when the champagne isn't flowing and the football isn't flowing and the wingbacks aren't bombing on and so on. Yeah, but, uh, you know, looking at it, you know, defensively they were good. I think where they could potentially struggle, I think that, you know, with Hazard not quite being fit, <clears throat> De Bruyne potentially out, it's that player that, which Hazard used to do when he was fit, you know, to, to make those runs, you know, to, to be the transitional player. And, and a lot of it now depends on, you know, the wingbacks, um, you know, Mounier, yep. uh, Torgan Hazard, Hazard. To, to support Lukaku because they're not getting up through the middle uh, as much. Uh, and, you know, it's a big, big loss to, to potentially, you know, lose De Bruyne. And, and there wasn't much on that. As good as Yuri Tillemans has been hyped up and as important mm. as the... the in, start of Axel Witzel was, you can't actually think once the Bruyne went off, them actually getting much of a stranglehold at all in the middle of the park. So yeah, it was very much reliant on, on the wing backs and getting it to Lukaku to hold up when they were hanging on at the end. There was no real control there, Dave. I agree completely in that second half. Portugal just sort of did as they pleased uh, in the build-up and Belgium really dropped bodies right back behind the ball. Um, but I'm really interested as well, Thomas, you touched on obviously injuries to um, De Bruyne and Hazard who both limped off before the end of this game. And you sort of wonder, obviously they have capable deputies who actually started the first game against Russia before uh, with the two of them injured already coming into the tournament. And that was um, Yannick Carrasco and Dries Mertens. Um, and you sort of wonder, I mean, now that we're getting into the deep end of the tournament, um, without that star power, do they have the quality actually to match up? I'm quite interested in terms of, they're great players, absolutely no doubt, but they're not a De Bruyne and they're not a Hazard. And will the supply line to De Bruyne be, an, uh, to Lukaku rather, be enough considering the way that Belgium sort of were under the pump today, whether they'll be able to create and control as, as they'd like to. I think we saw it in the Denmark game, right? Yeah, no, I, th- I think we've seen um, weaknesses. Uh, and and uh, Denmark game, they should have lost. De Bruyne single-handedly changed that game. Um, and again, we, we also, you know, you know, saw against Finland. It was though De Bruyne passes into Lukaku. They were the deciding factor uh, as well. Um, so, you know, I still have my doubts, but again... You know, you can't really fault them for, for not... They've won all their games, so uh, hats up to them. You can't say no De Bruyne, no Belgium, but no De Bruyne, the, the X factor and the intimidation. And it brings, you know, Italy versus Belgium where you've got the clear, you know, best midfield playmaker on the planet. He's not there. It's, it's a big leveler. So they'll be doing everything they can to get him fit. On the other side of the fence, there's going to be post-mortems and recriminations uh, from Portugal, defending champions, going out earlier than they ever have in this tournament. Um, before we jump into it ourselves, we've heard this morning from Tim Spears, who's been covering uh, Portugal for The Athletic, and he looked at what Fernando Santos could not figure out through the whole tournament, and that is he could not figure out his best attacking combinations. Ronaldo um, couldn't get his goal tonight uh, to break the international goal-scoring record. He's one away from doing it. You know, he kind of stole the spotlight earlier in the tournament with braces against Hungary and France, despite not playing that well, um, and he's got five for the tournament. He had a few moments tonight, but just not quite enough. And unlike 2016, he, he couldn't drag his team through. And the supporting cast didn't quite step up either, really. I think Diogo Jota um, was probably overused in the tournament. I think he had, he's had eight shots in the tournament and scored one tap-in. But he seemed to rush the rest of the opportunities he had. And, and he had a couple tonight. One which he dragged well wide of the far post and one which he ballooned over the bar. That was sort of... Um, 
that's sort of how he's been in the tournament, really. And, and I think considering the embarrassment of riches at their disposal, you can say he was sort of overused by Fernando Santos. When you think they've got Jao Felix, the fourth most expensive player in the world, finally coming on for his first kick of the whole tournament tonight. You know, I thought he made a big difference in his first appearance. Yes, he fluffed a couple, but he was making things happen. You had Andre Silva, the second top scorer in the Bundesliga, just made a couple of handful of token sub-appearances and, and he came on tonight. And then you got the top scorer in Portugal, Pedro Gonçalves, you know, didn't get a kick in the tournament. Bruno Fernandes in and out of the team. Uh, Rafa Silva had a hand in all three goals against Hungary after coming off, off the bench, you know, the Benfica winger, but he didn't come on tonight. So I just don't think Santos knew what his best attacking team was, really. It's an embarrassment of riches and he's quite a pragmatic manager. I'm not sure he's got it in him to get the best out of that attack. And that ultimately, Thomas, is what it comes down to, a team that had an embarrassment of riches. If you were talking fantasy football before the tournament, everyone went France, Portugal, amongst some great squads, they were to die for. They were just littered with talent. And you had a conservative manager in the end who you have to say over four games did not figure out, well, to be blunt, what to do with them. Yeah, um, and um, that that's going to come back to haunt him, I think. You know, overall... It's a big disappointment because this is, yeah, Belgium is a good side. They're world number one, but still, they would have expected to, yeah, at least be in a final. Um, you know, they're defending champions, and 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 on paper, squad um, equally as good as any of the other teams. Um, and their star man, he fired. He scored five goals, so so you can't really blame it on him. So there's something else missing, and and you know you got Bruno Fernandes. Not even getting a game coming on late for for the last at least the last two games, and yeah, and Yota, you know, he just hasn't fired. Uh, he missed plenty of chances. Yeah, and it just been something missing there. Uh, you know, I think it was a little bit in the Germany game. You saw that he didn't get it right, um, and today, you know, maybe a little bit of luck. They they would have gone through, but uh, yeah, there's been something missing. I think that's the thing for me that's really the ultimate indictment on Fernando Santos and Portugal at this tournament is when you really look at, at all of those attacking players that they have, and there are so many of them, there's almost too many to list, um, that you look at them uh, at the tournaments that they've had, other than Ronaldo, who obviously scored five goals, although a number of them were penalties, mm. did any of them actually live up to expectations? I would argue that none of them did. Bernardo Silva at a scratch, maybe you could argue, but playing not in his best position, probably not utilised or... Sorry, maybe in the right position that he plays for Manchester City, but not utilised in a similar way. Incredible disappointment. And actually, coming into the tournament, one thing that I looked at as from a preview point of view was, could Fernando Santos change... Can a leopard change its spots? And inherently, Portugal was still a conservative side. They were not sitting back today just because of the heat in Seville. They, were hitting, they would have probably done that regardless. And I'm fascinated to see going forward whether Portugal... I'm sure they'll still appoint a Portuguese manager, but whether the new manager comes in and tries to harness the talents that they have in an ex exquisite generation of players. Some of the players are on the bench. Some of the players they brought off the bench today to try to chase the game. And ultimately, when they were chasing the game, they were only a post or a save or a stroke of luck away from scoring a couple of goals. I think that's the thing that, especially reading around the Portuguese media this morning, the thing that has baffled so many people is just that they've sort of waited. We saw in the second half this morning, they were capable of playing attacking football. He switched things around a bit. They went three at the back. They, they threw on the attacking weapons. They attacked and they attacked and they attacked. They had 15 shots in the second half. Um, where, where was this? Mm. Where was it? They waited this long and, and suddenly they're deciding to play attacking football, Thomas. Yeah, it's a frustrating thing as a neutral. Uh, you know, you want to, you know, and again, for me, coming into the tournament, last warm-up game, 
Bruno Fernandes scored, I think, two or three goals. Mm-hmm. And for me, he was like, I, I was sure he was going to be the main man. And then he, he sort of just been uh, a, sh- a shadow, uh, an afterthought. And and that's uh, for me, it's a bit baffling in it, uh, on on one side. And yeah, it's um, and then actually some of their better players, Renato Sanchez came in and he for, for me he was a difference maker mm. why wasn't he there in the first place because he was so dynamic physically strong i think he actually you know made it possible for the team to attack because he could just sit there you know win those second balls win the battles in midfield uh, and yeah so where was the plan originally uh, going into the tournament but is that is that the question moving forward thomas with with so many great attacking players we've got so many guys who are at, at the crux of their club sides like Bruno Fernandes, is mm. bernardo silva jao felix all these sort of guys if you were if you're the manager coming in taking over from fernando santos who do you build this team around obviously ronaldo's 36 he's not around forever which one who who should be the focal point of this croatia team moving forward who do you build around or, or portugal <laughs> Croatia's on your mind for tomorrow oh, morning. Wow. <laughs> that's all good. That's, that's the amount of sleep I'm getting at the moment. Oh, we've got two teams to manage. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's finding you know a, a, a system that 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 suits these players. Like you, could, you know, if you want to play more attacking football, you know, it doesn't matter. These players are intelligent. They they can uh, you know you know they can they can slot in wherever wherever you need them. But I, I think you know, obviously Ronaldo does he stay on? You you would have to build something around him. And, um, you know, Bruno Fernandes, I, I still think, you know, when he came on in the second half, you could just see everything went through him. You know, the, his balls into the box. He's got that exquisite vision um, and can score a goal as well. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I think those two players are, are key. And then, you know, a strong midfield. They've got plenty of options there as well. No, I, th- I think what you said there about uh, they're attacking players, they'll be able to do good. I think it's all about letting them off the leash. I, I'm stealing a line I heard from somewhere during the week. It was like, you've got a manager who wants to defend, but he's d- defending it with brilliant players who want to be on the ball. And that's why they're not defending well, because those players want to be on the ball. You've got to set it up to the cattle that you've got at your disposal. Yeah, but it's also a f- frustration you can say about France. You know, they've got, the, you know, bondage of, of riches as well. And they, they play in a similar way. It's, it's sort of a, you know, maybe he's, you know, Teams look to that. It's efficient, you know, that you, they get results and, and you're just sort of depending on these star players to, to just make the difference in certain moments. But that's the same dilemma almost that England are grappling with at this tournament and so many of these teams now with so many amazing attacking players going around. I mean, how do you strike that balance, Thomas, with fans just, just begging for, for their attacking football? They want to be entertained, but it's a, tournament. a tournament that way. Yeah, you don't you? have that much time to prepare. No, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, we we obviously we can uh, just throw opinions around, and uh, you know we're we're not depending on results. Uh, so so I get where some of the managers are coming from, but you just wish sometimes that you you just hand a little bit more freedom to certain players, players that can handle it. And and you're talking about England certainly got those players and and these top teams, and and that's also what fans crave, and that's that's when the exciting things happen. If you structure the players too much. That you, you take that individuality out of them as well. When you get together for an international camp, and you did that on so many occasions, what's the most important thing to strike, say, before a tournament? Is it is it a little bit like cramming for exams and getting all the you know the tactical information in and getting the team together, or if you've done your build up properly over World Cup qualifying or Euro qualifying campaign, is it almost like we're back with our family? And if you harness that team spirit and you've got the right identity, then that kind of takes care of itself. What is the dif- most difficult thing together to get done as a player when you walk into camera and go, right, what's the coach going to serve us up here? 
I, th- I think the most important thing is identity. I think with any with anything, you know, if if you have that, if you've built that, you know, you're, then you're only looking at fi- like finalizing details because you you know what you're playing. You know, you more or less know the team, and and you can look around this tournament. And I'll take Denmark as an example. Uh, you know, they've got a clear identity, know how to play, slot players in, uh, and 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 you know, it, it it makes such a big difference. You know, you can look at the Czech team as well. They Czech Republic in Italy, the other two teams. That yeah, have you know, they, they, you know, they, you know, they might have not have the, the riches that, you know, certainly not the Czech that, you know, that uh, Portugal has, um, but, but they know what they're doing. They play to their strengths and, and still allow to, to go and express themselves. We saw Hungary as well, you mm. know, yeah, they were, they were solid, but it wasn't like they were just defending like a Finland where they were just sitting back and never had a shot on target. Like Hungary were exciting. They took Germany all the way. You know, and and um, you know, I think that's the strength of the manager. So, so I think that's the job for the for the new Portuguese manager, if there is, is one, is to to get that clear strategy, identity moving forward, and then the players will slot in automatically. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we move off this game and, and move and have a quick look at Belgium against uh, Italy coming up, a final word on Ronaldo, guys. Um... I suspect he will be at the World Cup. I suspect he will be absolutely playing in Portugal's next game because he has got a world record he wants to break. But what do we see as his role with Portugal in the years ahead? And is that a healthy thing too? We know he's got the star power. We know he's bigger than everything. But is that healthy for Portugal in the short to medium term too as they try to build this identity we've just spent the last five minutes talking about? Uh, it's, it's a big question. But you know, when you've got players... Of his caliber, and he still shows it. Uh, you know, he, he, and I, uh, I don't see him as just a, you know, a prima donna that stands up there and, and he scores a couple of goals and he does nothing. I, I see him with desire. I see him with passion. He he actually puts in a, a fairly, fairly big shift for the team as well. Um, you know, chasing back, and and as long as that's happening, I, I think you have got to fit him in. Like uh, that's my certainly my uh, thinking, and uh, as long as he wants to play, um, uh, you know, then uh, yeah, he uh, he needs to be the first man on the team sheet because he's a leader as well. Exactly what I was going to say, Thomas. A player of that caliber who's done so much in the game is one of the all-time greats. I mean, how how good is it for for guys like João Felix and for guys like Diogo Jota, guys like Bernardo Silva who are making their way in the game to to learn off him more than anything else? Yeah, it is, but but it's also. You, they are Ronaldo's team. So long as he is there, they are Ronaldo's team. They're Ronaldo's Portugal. And, you know, you can't doubt the man. Five goals at this point. Still still the leading golden boot leader before, you know, that's him, his record to chase down now. So I suspect we'll see him in Qatar for sure. And I tell you what, I would not put it past him being in the squad in three years' time when the next Euros comes around. Belgium against Italy is going to be where we go uh, as a result of this contest. And I think the Italian and Roberto Mocini, Thomas, will probably be, be pleased, I think, with this with this outcome compared to having to break down a Portugal defence, just given what we saw in their round of 16 tie. But it's a pretty interesting football matchup just in pure terms. 
Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see how the two managers approach it. Um, yeah, I, I think it would have been more de- defined if if uh, Portugal had played them because they would have set off and, and and you know try to hit them on the counter. But what does Belgium do? Do they try to come and dominate the game? Because that's what Italy wants to do as well, and have done really well under Mancini. And and also, you know, is, is Kalini coming back? Mm. I think that's huge for Italy. And then you think Mancini got it wrong with Verratti. Uh, uh, you know, I think he wasn't as dynamic against Austria. And, and Locatelli just, for me, he's played really well. Uh, he's that guy that also can get forward, can be that late runner into the box, which he's already shown. You know, so ho- hopefully, in my view, he changes that. Um, and then, yeah, it's going to be individual quality, I think. I think so much depends on if. De Bruyne and or Hazard is fit mm. for me. I think if Belgium want to go into this game and, and really attack it, I think they, they need that extra quality. Um, otherwise, I mean, it is really intriguing. Obviously, that counter-press that, that Mancini's Italy have have sort of gone to, uh, they were tested massively against Austria. But again, Austria didn't really have the quality to, to control the game against mm. them. So I'm quite fascinated to see, with extra punches being thrown at this Italy team, who obviously we've seen they have such a, such a great spirited togetherness, but when they're up against it, like they were against Austria, they obviously came through that test. But against a better side who were capable of really strangling them, how do they how do they come through? And I'm also, I know they were clearly tested this morning, but I'm also interested to see them tested in a high-octane game, which we know Italy will present with them. And that's the beauty of this tournament. Different little tastes in every game. Something's a little bit different each time. That game, by the way, gent, is on Saturday morning at 5am. That's a really nice, cosy time to get up on a Saturday morning and watch an elite game of football. I absolutely can't wait for that one. Lots to happen before then, and that also uh, includes <laughs> yeah, a couple more quarterfinalists to decide. What we do know earlier in the morning, in the wee hours, which explains some of our delirium, is the Netherlands, highly fancy, just on their pedigree, are out at the hands of the Czech Republic. 2-0 we spoke about margins a bit earlier, Thomas. We talked about games swinging on the finest details. And in one minute in this contest, the Netherlands should have gone one up after Marlon went in on goal. Fantastic save. And then down the other end, uh, Patrick Schick, who's been absolutely everywhere. Pressure on Matthias De Ligt. Juventus defender. Handball. Brain fade. He's off. The game turns on its head. And the Czech Republic were too good. And the Dutch crumbled. Yeah, and, and uh, De Ligt had, you know, up to that point, been instrumental. I think when he played in the previous game, came back, even in the start, he had a massive challenge early in the game where the Czech had a fantastic opportunity, uh, threw himself and, and got a block to it. But in that instance, really against what he normally does, he, he sort of hesitates a little bit, he like, and then he, he ends up stumbling. And then I think he has, yeah, he has a bit of a, a blackout. He, he tries to you know, last second, something, I think some of the commentators made, it's something that you do it in training ground mm-hmm. just for a bit of fun. You'll just, uh, oh, I'm not letting him score, so I'm just going <laughs> to, and he sort of hooks the ball a little bit with his hand. Uh, and it, yeah, it was a clear red, red card and, and that certainly changed the game and, and they lost a, a really important piece to the Netherlands in, in Delict. Well, I think that was the question with the Netherlands, wasn't it? They had such a dominant group stage. Again, like Italy were not re- and Belgium were not really tested. Um, <laughs> and they, unlike Italy, did not come through it this morning and, for me, it's almost a, and it sounds unfair, but it's almost a bit of a microcosm of Frank de Boer as a manager. I mean, he, he sort of obviously came through and established his reputation in his homeland in the Netherlands. Um, and then in the Premier League, he, he just simply wasn't up to it. And, and I mean, against the, the lesser lesser nations at, at the Euros, they get the job done. They look great. But when the pressure was on and the character was needed, 
The Netherlands did not come through. Well, the other issue here, Thomas, was they, they had some chances early doors. It was a really competitive game. It wasn't. It was probably a little bit scrappy even because the Czech Republic were playing with such intensity that the middle of the park was really congested and Denzel Dumfries was amazing down the right. They even had a bit of luck over the top. Like They were finding different solutions to a really competitive contest. But when that character was needed, when they went 1-0 down, they crumbled. And just looking at the early reaction out of Holland from some of the big names, your De Jongs, your Schneiders, your Van der Vaart, uh, Mario Melchiot, they're going all in on Frank de Boer. Is that, is that fair? Is that fair? Does that character come from the manager? Tactically, do you think that was where they went down? What do you make of that reaction to the performance we saw today? Uh, you know, up until the delict, um, you know, sending off, I think it was a fairly even game. I actually thought maybe the Dutch shaded it a bit. They started really well, then the Czech sort of fought their way into the game and actually created a, a few chances. But it, w- it was in the balance. So that changed it. So that's unlucky. Um, but I think after that, there's some of the, just the defending. And uh, John Aloisi was uh, on a brekkie show, was highlighting Danny Blind and, you know, these small things, you know, just letting people go, not, not you know, not marking, not, not really throwing yourself in a tackle when you should, just sticking your foot sort of half-heartedly in there. And that decided the game. You know, after that, you know, they, they conceded a, a free kick, you know, keepers sort of get stranded in no man's land and then they, they don't mark, you know, th- that was the difference. And that you can put that down to desire, organization and then individual, uh, you know, mistakes. The other thing that De Boer is actually being massively hammered for, like enormously in the Dutch press, is a substitution that he made. Mm. And that mm. is bringing off Daniel Malin. Uh, I think it was about the 60th minute. Um, and he... The, the pundits in the Netherlands were basically baffled. They compared it to a substitution that Dick Advocat made actually against the Czech Republic in 2004 uh, to bring on Arjen Robben. Um, and they're basically saying, like, how do you take off your best player when you're under the pump, you're down 1-0? What, why do you make that decision? It's unthinkable, essentially, is what they're saying. Well, it, yeah, no, I, I get what he's doing. He's putting Vekos on and, and you know, he's got, you, you got that physicality, you know, a target man that could potentially hold up the ball. You know, being one man less, um, you know, if Marlon was a big difference, maybe he would have scored that mm. chance. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think you can look at it two ways if you go down to 10 men. You can keep someone yeah. on speedy to try and give yourself an outlet, or you can try bring on someone who's going to hold the ball up and give you a reprieve. So you can't have damn if you do, damn if you don't. They crumbled around it. He's going to get smashed for that substitution. Yeah, no, again, I think he was smashed. He was already in deficit before the tournament yeah. with the 4 3 3, and, you know, he was playing with wing backs. But I think it worked. You know, like Don Fries, you know, he, he, he was a revelation in his tournament, and had they played 4 3 3, he wouldn't have been, uh, potentially. And, and um, you know, so, you know, you get something and, and you lose something. And I think they're traditionalists in, in Holland. Mm. So I think any time you stray away from the 4 3 3, you're going to get hammered. Do you think, the fa- unless they won, won the damn thing, yeah. he was just damned from the start because of that choice? Because, frankly, so did playing that formation cost them today, right? Or, or in, did that get them to the attacking intent that maybe they would not have been capable otherwise of? You know, I, I think, you know, looking at the games, I think the four, no, sorry, the, the three. Whatever three five two yeah whatever, whatever you call it, it. But, but at least with the wing backs, you know that's was the exciting thing with, with this Dutch team. I think it provided uh, you know a lot of width. Um, you know, Dumfries. You know he could. You know he's been mm-hmm. and Van Arnott was great too. Yeah, yeah. But you know just the the, the goal scoring um, chances that he he got involved in. Uh, even today he made a cross field run in behind and and chipped it over the keeper, but couldn't score from a from a sort of a tight angle. So. 
you know, he was all action. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, that's definitely what I will be thinking about when I think about the Dutch team leaving this tournament. Leadership, though, is the important thing. And I think that's what people are really hammering down on now. It's the leadership from, from the coach to board, but also... People who, uh, players who will who will inevitably face a bit of brunt after this performance are guys like Memphis Depay and, and Jeannie Wijnaldum, who, by the way, had completed 10 passes in an entire 90 minutes of football, which is the least of any outfield player from the Netherlands to play a full 90 at, at the Euros ever. Um, ridiculous. Uh, unthinkable, almost. Um, who, if it's not De Boer, who is really at heart of... I mean, it's an early exit when you really think about it, even considering the, the sort of build-up and the maligned... De Boer and all these sort of things. So who, who do you really point the finger at? Uh, no, it, it's obviously a collective. As you say, you know, I think Delict even came out afterwards and he took the full blame and said it was my fault. Um, you know, it, it's somewhere in between because I, I, I think coming into it, I think De Boer wasn't the right choice. You know, you're looking at the way they performed since he took over. It definitely hasn't been impressive. And, um, you know, and, you know, you got to have you know, experienced players stepping up at, at the right time. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about, Danny, you know, Daily Blend, uh, I think, you know, had a, had a shocker, you know, who's involved in all three goals. Depay, Ronaldo didn't perform. Delict, obviously, you know, <laughs> getting sent off. That's so a I pretty think, telling thing. So, 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 you know, you're talking about the spine of the mm. team um, not performing. And, and, you know, at this level, it doesn't matter if you play Czech Republic or, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. A team's going to beat you. That's a really good point. You know, Frankie de Jong probably has a, a pass. He was probably all right. But even, you know, Martin Stekelenburg wasn't their first choice. He wasn't bad, but do you talk about the spine not performing plus not being where they wanted it to be? And, of course, Van Dyke. Yeah, it'd be intriguing to see. It's hard to see De Boer surviving, but there were enough ingredients for this side to to not go out in this way. Yeah, and there were, you know, we were talking about the sides of the draw. Like, you know, I'm sure we saw all this, you know, the Dutch fans in the street before the game, all of them would have said, oh, we're, we're, we're on the way to the final. They'd like, booked their semi-final spot. Of course. Spot. You, know, and, you know, you're looking at Czech Republic, Denmark, you know, maybe England or Germany in a, in a, in a semi-final. Whoa, that's, that's dream, our tournament. Dream draw. Oh, for sure. Czech Republic, immense, right? They did well in a really tight group. They were strong today. They are not the characteristic of the stereotype of, you know, the nation, the Mino nation that sits back. and No, they were right up in this contest. They, they made life difficult for the Dutch. Thomas Holles and Patrick Schick's goals getting the reward. But there are a number, from fullbacks to Thomas Suchek, there are a number of standout performances. Yeah, and actually I saw a quote just before we went on from the Danish coach. He was asked, oh, you know, are you happy? You know, now you've got Czech Republic. And he actually said, no, I'd rather play the Dutch. The Dutch, man for man, maybe better, individually, one-on-one. -on -one. But as a team, intensity, he yeah. said, we're going to play a team that for the first time is going to match our intensity. And we have to cope with that. So he, you know, he's, he's expecting a, a harder challenge. And you, Thomas, how do you feel about it? You know, again, it's, it's, you know, I would have taken that. We're, you know, it's, but <laughs> it's you're there it. now. You'll take your yeah, you get, but you are of there. Of course, of course. Uh, I know it's going to be difficult, but I, I still think, you know, Denmark are playing so well. We'll create chances. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm confident. But again, 
they are a tough team to play and and you know they've showed that in this tournament does don't give much away set pieces yeah. are, are crucial and it's probably a place where Denmark have shown a little bit of weakness in the past this might not be the box office game of the next round but I can tell you for football intrigue and for competitiveness it's going to be incredibly hard to split so I'm look I look I always say I look forward to every game but this game we might not have the glamour but it is going to be an immense football contest well speaking of what we're looking forward to we need to get some sleep because this, listening to us rabble on, we've got a couple of big games coming up. And that means we'll be up at, for the 2 a.m. kickoff tonight, Spain against Croatia, followed by France against Switzerland. Starting with the earlier game, look, I really enjoyed watching Spain in the last hit out. In fact, frankly, there have been pockets of Spain's performances all the way through that I've really enjoyed. But this clash now with Croatia, rejuvenated after the last outing, with the midfield now humming, with Luka Modric now starring, I'm finding it very, very hard to split. Can you? Nah, I still got Spain as favourites. I think it's a massive blow that Perisic is is out yep. uh, with COVID because he's he's uh, an attacking force and he he gets so many of their goals. Uh, Rebic, you know, a few of the others up front, um, you know, they're, they're not quite the same quality as he is, and um, you know, they're, they're tough. They're they're gonna make it tough for Spain, and and we know what Spain is gonna play the same same way all the time, and. You know, like we saw the difference between the two first games and the Slovakia game, you know, when they suddenly get their goals, you know, how exciting are they? And uh, I think that's going to be the question mark. Can they get it over the line? It's quite interesting in that sense because these are both two teams that started quite slowly this Mm. tournament, I think it's fair to say, but in their last game really clicked into gear. Um, I definitely expect Spain to dominate a lot, a lot of the ball. I'm talking 70% plus, almost definitely, as as good as Luka Modric is and as good as that midfield trio is alongside Brozovic and Kovacic. I think Spain, this this Spanish side, are just such a possession machine. Mm. I've been lucky to have been across all three of their games closely and the level they jumped with Busquets in the side, I don't know whether it was just his presence lifted them. I think definitely tactically and technically he just lifts them to another level Pedri went to another level Sarabia was an interesting inclusion because he gave them a bit more directness and all of a sudden it, you felt like even if Morata was misfiring and just quietly by the way some of the stuff he's copped uh, from his fans has been like we talk here in a pure football sense we talk about Morata his chances should he be in should he be in out but that level of, of discussion and, and sledging is we don't condone that at all we're looking at it from a pure footballing point of view and when it crosses that line it's really pathetic to see so in a way I hope he goes out and bags a couple of goals to almost shove it up them but even if he doesn't you feel like they've got a few more resources at their disposal now and they've started to grow into the tournament in that sense yeah and I think it's great that you know Jeremy Moreno is in there as well so it, it just takes the, the pressure off and, and I agree with this Rabia you know those runs into the box um, you know late runs you know he's he's been a danger and I think he, he played really well against Slovakia so I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm hopeful because we want to see Spain mm. you know progress because they, they play great football I'm hope that they, they turn the corner they've found you know the goal scoring uh, prowess and and um, you know I'm I'm tipping they'll beat the Croatia and go through. Now, it's a silly thing to say there could be a straightforward game in the knockout stages. There is never such a thing. But France against Switzerland, you look at it on paper and go, that probably is a mismatch. Switzerland, though, have pockets of pedigree all throughout the, the side. Super competitive outfit. Um, France will be loath to take them for granted. But this does look like one of the more straightforward matchups in the knockout phase. Yeah, you definitely feel that way, especially on paper. I mean, this this French team have pedigree out the wazoo. Um, but when you look at Switzerland, and I watched their, their most recent game as well, they're a good side. 
they they know what they're doing. They can create chances. They have Jordan Jakiri, who's a genuine X factor. Breland Bolo as well. Um, they they aren't to be to be underestimated for mine. I mean, France obviously a very pragmatic outfit, and I think that if there's, I, I don't expect complacency to be an issue for them, considering how they've done at major tournaments recently. But let's face it, this would be the ball over of the tournament if they don't go through. Yeah, but uh, you, you know, it's not going to be as easy um, as as people think. It's not going to be a three, four, five nil. No. I don't think it, no. it's going to be tight. Um, you know, does Mbappe finally shine? Uh, he obviously got his his penalty, but um, you know, he hasn't really produced uh, you know the the goals that we would expect from a top quality player. So you know, that would be a, an interesting. Has he got one yet? No, not yet. And Benzema's got off the mark though, and yeah. I think you know what what's probably kept that narrative down is Benzema, of course, and just how good Paul Pogba's been. Like he is on a path. He's on a. Path. I mean, they do have to go deep, obviously, but right now. You'd say he is the standout individual of the tournament so far, so uh, that's probably overshadowed any any other concerns because he's just been so good. Yeah, no, it definitely has. Uh, you know, it's it's just frustrating to see how how he then plays for Manchester United, and but again, that's back to to management and and you know he probably needs that freedom to to go on and, and express himself. You know, you can see he's definitely got uh, you know the passing ability and and. Uh, uh, yeah, just these rushes up the field. It's it's great to see. Right. Um, but I still, you know, I still have my doubts about France. But then on the other hand, so did I at the World Cup, and they just keep grinding out results. Sometimes they play great, other times they don't look like a world champions, but they still get the results, and that's what Deschamps does. There are some great matchups potentially, and we don't want to do a Netherlands perhaps and get ahead of ourselves. But if you think about it, even whether it is Croatia or Spain against France. There's contrasting styles there. We've spoken about Belgium and Italy. A lot to look forward to, including some sleep. But before we do that, you've got to go shopping, Thomas. You've got a very, very important responsibility tonight, I believe. And you can't say that we're throwing any exclusives out there because Michael Bridges has been busy posting all about it on social media. What do you have to do now? Yeah, no, uh, John Aloisi through. We, we're sort of living in the same uh, apartment complex during the, the Euros, and uh, we've sort of decided during this lockdown to do a, a little bit of a, a cookout. So we'll, we were at Aloisi's apartment yesterday. We'll be in my apartment tonight. Uh, so, yeah, I've got big pressure because he, he put on a spread. Three-course Italian meal uh, at a high standard. So, uh, yeah, I need to uh, get shopping. How did you end up not following Bridgie? That would have been a lot easier. <laughs> I know, I know. But what we are planning is, uh, you know, to do two great nights and then put all <laughs> the pressure on him and then to see him crumble. Weren't you talking about order, ordering takeout after Bridgie cooks? <laughs> no, no, that's what we're going to say tonight. It's okay, Bridgie. You can order takeout. We'll be happy. And then just slam it in. Yeah. <laughs> well, you best be off to go shopping then. Jake, you best be off because we've got some work to do. But fantastic to chat to you guys again in depth about the games this morning. I love the gang of pod. We just get to talk a bit of football, even though we are slightly delirious. And I don't know if anything we said makes sense. But if you've come this far, hopefully it did. Until the next episode, of course, as ever, thanks for listening and enjoy your football. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 